Um, <laughs> how good is your memory? Um, are you the kind of person who's good at remembering things like lists of, you know, uh, interesting but useless facts and figures? Or are you the sort of person who's good at remembering, you know, names and faces and dates? Um, I'm, I'm the, the first one. Um, I, I can remember, you know, lists of things and facts. And I'm quite good at that. Um, so, yeah, I, d- I don't know which one you are. Um, I thought we'd, we'd make this a little bit interactive. Um, my initial thought was that, um, do you know the, the generation game um, where they have the conveyor belt at the end um, and there's, there's the kind of, you know, all the, all the stuff that they've got to remember. Um, and, and I was going to show a video of that and try and, um, try and get you to um, remember those things. Um, but I thought, knowing how our technology usually works, I'd, uh, I'd try and make it a little bit less technical. Um, so what I want you to do is I'm going to read some things out and put your hand up if you can remember those things. Um, so an easy one first, your own name. Who can remember your own name? Hopefully most of you are able to, to do that. Yeah, excellent. Good. Um, that means you can hear me as well, so that's good. Um, what about your mobile phone number? Yeah, some, maybe about half there. Uh, who can remember a present that they got on their last birthday? Maybe a few. It's a bit easier if your birthday was recently. Yeah. Uh, what about your bank account number? Anyone know that? A few people, a few people. Uh, your first teacher, first teacher at school. Yeah, maybe a few less, a few less for that one. Uh, what about your car registration number, if you've got, if you've got a car? Yeah, quite, quite a lot more for that. Good. Okay, so some of, some of you seem to have pretty good memories. Some people not so good. I think there was a couple of people that didn't put their hands up for anything. So either, you know, you're not listening or you've got a really, really bad memory. But um, our, our memories are quite important, are they? Like, we, we need them in everyday life. Um, we need them for things like if we go shopping, you know, pay for our... Um, if we want to pay on our credit card, we've got to put our PIN number in. You've got to remember that. You've got to remember stuff. If you're uh, revising for exams, you've got to try and remember stuff for that. Um, remembering to put the bins out um, so that you're not, you know, just piling up the, the, uh, the black sacks outside your house. Um, if, you're, if you're familiar with the Old Testament um, and the Book of Judges in particular, you'll know that the Israelites had really, really awful memories. Um, and we're, we're going to think about that a bit later. Um, I think it's always a, a good idea when we come to a new part of the Bible that we've not looked at recently to kind of get our bearings. Um, do a, you know, so I'm just going to do a recap of what's happened up to now and where the book of Judges fits um, in, the, in the Bible. So um, God chose a man called Abraham in the book of Genesis. Uh, Abraham was a pagan. He wasn't anything special. Um, but God chose him to be the recipient of his promise. Uh, and the promise was that he would make his descendants into a great nation and that they would inherit a land of their own. Um, now, despite Abraham being really old and his wife being really old and barren, uh, God gave them a son called Isaac. Uh, he had a son called Jacob, who became the father of Israel, the, uh, the nation of Israel. Um, that, that nation lived in Egypt for a number of years. Um, they became slaves under Pharaoh um, and God eventually rescued them through Moses and that's what we call the Exodus 
Um, after 40 years in the desert, they came to the promised land, which was Canaan, um, the, the land that God had promised um, all those years ago to Abraham. Um, and they came into it under the leadership of a guy called Joshua, um, who we heard about in the reading. So that's where the book of Judges begins. The Israelites are coming into the promised land. Um, and really, this, this should be kind of the fulfilment of the promise. You know, this should be happily ever after from here. Um, but sadly, it's not. Um, God had warned them um, through Joshua that what they should be doing is totally wiping out the other nations that were there in the land already. Um, because if they didn't, then they would become a problem in the future. Um, I think that's, that's, kind of, that's quite a difficult thing uh, to, to read and to hear. Um, but we know that God um, is, uh, is a just God and he'd given these pagan nations lots and lots of opportunity to repent. Um, I, I don't want to dwell too much on that today. Um, but Israel didn't do that. They didn't follow God's commands. They didn't wipe out all of the other nations. Uh, they took control of the land, but they left a lot of the other uh, people groups there. Um, and they, they kind of had some of them as slaves, some of them they were just sort of living alongside. Um, so, so because of this, um, the nation had barely set foot in the promised land when, when it began to decline. So um, the book of Judges follows something of a, a repeating pan, um, what I've called the Judges cycle. And the bit we read in, um, the bit that Claire read to us, in uh, chapters 2 and 3 is a bit of an overview of that cycle. So we start in quite a good place. Um, the people serve the Lord. Verse 7. They worship God as the one true God, as their rescuer, their deliverer, and they obeyed God's commands. But then Joshua dies. Verse 8. Um, he'd reached a, a good old age and um, and, but, but he died eventually, and so did the, the other elders, the other spiritual leaders of the nation. Um, and what, I guess what we would hope is that there were other leaders um, ready to kind of step up and fill their shoes. But unfortunately, this doesn't happen. Uh, and instead, Israel turns away from God. So if you look down at verses 11 and 12, uh, Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them, and just like God had warned them. They stopped uh, following the living God and started worshipping idols. So God, God was kind of still in the picture, but he was a small part of the picture, and um, he, he was just kind of one among so many other gods. Uh, the result of this was God's fair judgment against Israel. Um, look down again, uh, verses 12 to 15. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreth. In his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. He sold them to their enemies all around, who they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. So they've broken at least the first two commandments. 
um, and it angers God and God justly punishes it. Uh, when the Israelites realise that they're in a bit of trouble because of this, um, they cry out to God to save them. And, uh, and God is gracious and he relents of his punishment uh, by sending a judge who is able to um, defeat the nations that are oppressing them. But then we're back to the start again. The people serve God for a while and then they turn away from him again. The cycle repeats. And if you read through the book of Judges, it's not just a cycle kind of going round and round. It's a, it's a downward spiral. It's a, it's a decline. Uh, have a look at verse 19. It says, When the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers. Which makes Judges a really depressing book if we look at it from that human point of view. Um, if, if this was fiction we might expect there to be some hero who, who you know, comes to the fore towards the end of the book to save everyone, and, and there's something of a happy ending there. But Judges doesn't end like that. It ends really miserably. Um, and the people of Israel are actually worse off than they were at the start. But there is another way that we can read it, um, which is what I want to do now. Um, if we look at it from the point of view of, uh, of what God is doing and what God is like, then we see how amazingly uh, patient and gracious and kind God is with his people. So I want to show you five aspects of God's grace, his undeserved kindness to his people that we see um, in the book of Judges. And I think it will make our reading of it uh, bring us um, joy and hope instead of sadness and despair. So, first of all, uh, God's grace is unconditional. It's not dependent on us. Um, Israel hasn't done anything to deserve God's love. Um, They're not special in their own right. Um, There was absolutely nothing that set them apart from the other nations other than the fact that God had shown his grace to them. Uh, God didn't owe them anything, but he gave them everything. And God made the first move. He was, he was the one who chose them to be his special people. Uh, think about Abraham as well. Um, he was called and chosen by God before he'd done anything good. Uh, Joshua 24, um, God speaks through Joshua and he gives this, this little recap to the people. It says, uh, Long ago your forefathers, including Abraham and his family, uh, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land on the river and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants um, at the time God chose Abraham he was a pagan he was an idol worshipper he, you know, he, he wasn't kind of looking for God at all um, but God God chose him not based on Abraham's goodness not based on the strength of his faith um, but because of God's grace and it's exactly the same with God's people today he doesn't choose people because they're particularly good, uh, because you know, they're particularly strong or gifted in a, in a particular area. Uh, God chooses sinners to come to faith, to be the recipients of his grace. Uh, Paul writes in Romans that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Not, not after we stopped becoming sinners, but while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
yeah, we do need to put our trust in Jesus um, in, order to, um, in order to be saved. But um, we, we're not able to do that unless God comes first. Uh, second of all, God's grace is patient. Uh, when we read about Israel being, um, being oppressed by the surrounding nations, we kind of think, yeah, all right, they've, they've kind of got what they've deserved for, um, you know, for rebelling against God. Uh, but let's, let's look again. Um, if we jump back to Joshua 24:20, uh, you don't need to look it up. I'll just read it to you. Uh, God says, if you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. And what, what happened to them? Look at th- chapter 3, verse 8. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishathim, king of Aram Naharim, to whom the Israelites were subjects for eight years. So there's a bit of a difference there, isn't there? Um, God would have been well within his rights to just wipe Israel out at that point and say, you know what, that's it. I'm going to start again with another nation. But instead... They just become slaves for a, a short period of time. God is, God is really patient. He's, he's wanting to teach them and correct them. And I think God is really patient with the world now. Paul says, uh, if we go to Romans again, Paul says, the wages of sin is death. God has every right to put to an end all life on earth, you know, right now, if he wanted to, because of sin. But because of his grace, he, uh, because, and because he is patient, um, he chooses to wait um, for people to turn to him. Third of all, um, God's grace is quick. In, uh, in chapter 2, verse 17, we read about how quick Israel are to turn away from God. They quickly turned from the way in which their fathers had walked, the way of obedience to the Lord's commands. But in contrast... God is really quick to show his grace to them. Chapter 3, verse 9. When they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer. God is is slow to anger, but he is really quick to show his grace. God absolutely loves to show his grace and mercy to his people. You know, some people can, can think about God as a kind of bloodthirsty tyrant who is just... You know, on the edge of his seat waiting for us to do something wrong so that he can smite us and, you know, throw down fire and brimstone. But, um, but that's, that's just a lie. It couldn't be further from the truth. God is, God is delighted to show grace to his people. He, he doesn't want to, um, to have to punish us and judge us. He wants to show us grace and he's really quick to do that. If you think about um, Israel here, when they turn back to him, it's only because they're in trouble. It's not because they've kind of, you know, seen the error of the ways. They've got kind of a, a pure heart in that, you know, they're not, um, they've not got pure motives in, in turning back to God. And yet he still shows them his grace so quickly. I think we saw it in Jonah as well, didn't we? Um, there was a, a totally ungodly nation, Nineveh, which God is going to destroy. But they repent and God immediately relents. Uh, Jonah is is pretty mad, but he says, uh, he talks about what God is like. 
I knew that you were gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Uh, when we sin, it can be so tempting to just run away from God in fear. And that's, that's what we'll do if we believe that God is, um, is slow to show his grace. But God is always ready and waiting to shower his love on us. And we don't, we don't even have to come back to him with perfect motives. God is always ready to show his grace. Uh, fourthly, God's grace is constant. Now, I've obviously not got time to go through all of the stories in Judges. There's quite a lot in there. Um, but if we did, we would see God's hand at work in absolutely everything. You might think there are bits where God's gracious and bits where he's been a judge, but you can't really separate the two. His grace doesn't come and go. It's constant. Um, Israel's punishment is not for punishment's sake. Uh, So look down at uh, chapter 2, verse 22. God says, I will use them, that's the other nations, to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their forefathers did. And then a bit later, chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Uh, these are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had previous battle experience. And uh, the other thing that we see, which is not kind of, it's not spelled out explicitly, um, but God is showing them how futile it is to worship um, these other gods. So God's grace doesn't disappear if I turn my back on him, he's still there pushing, pushing me towards repentance. Uh, finally, God's grace is limitless. I mentioned before that if we read through Judges, we see the sort of the moral state of the nation spiralling out of control. Uh, they just keep getting worse and worse, and even the judges themselves are they're not like role models by any stretch of the imagination. But God is still at work and he still keeps his promises. And thankfully, the end of Judges is not the end of the story um, or even the end of the Old Testament. Um, Israel does inherit the promises of God. They, they become a great nation under King David and they are somewhat of a, a light to the nations. And um, But in in Judges, Israel's sin seems almost limitless. But God's grace is even more limitless, if if that's possible. Um, And if 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 we know the history of the Old Testament, we can see that there is no depth of sin that that is not able to be covered by God's grace. So God's grace is not It's not small by any stretch of the imagination, by any kind of measure. So so never think that it is. Um, We're going to sing a song uh, later called Jesus Thank You, uh, which is one of my favourite songs at the minute. Um, And I love the line, um, the wrath of God completely satisfied. Completely satisfied. Not, Not partially satisfied, not satisfied for a time, but completely satisfied. Um, in Jesus, anything that we can do, um, 
God, God, can, God can show grace to us, which is just amazing, and it is mind-blowing, and it is life-changing. Whether you're a Christian who's struggling, or someone who has not yet accepted Jesus, um, just kind of kill, kill those lies that God's grace, you know, God, I'm, I'm not good enough for God. That, 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 is, um, that, is, that is true, but God's grace is enough to cover all of that. Um, but don't misunderstand me in this. Um, God's limitless grace doesn't give us a license to sin as much as we want. In fact, it's kind of the opposite. It's, it's actually a reason um, to, to live obediently to him. Um, so let's come back to thinking about memory again. Um, can you think of a time when it's been like really bad or really, uh, really embarrassing to forget something? Um, I'll tell you something that happened to me recently. Um, when we were living in uh, Treaton, I used to shop at Morrison's in Catcliffe, and I'd gone there one Sunday morning, um, kind of gone round, ticked off the things on my list, put all my stuff on the conveyor belt, realised I didn't have my wallet on me. And it was so, it was just the most embarrassing thing ever. I, like, I cringe thinking about it even now. And I just had to say to the woman, I'm really sorry, I can't pay for this. I've not, I've not got my wallet on me. And I had to leg it home. It's kind of, it's about a mile and a half home and leg it back. And when I got there, she'd like bagged everything up for me and um, put it all through and I just had to pay. But I, I just, I, I didn't even want to go back. I didn't want to go back in that shop ever again. I was, I was so embarrassed. Um, but now, when I leave the house, I'm like obsessively checking, have I got my wallet? Is it, is it on me? I probably check like three or four times before I even like leave the house. Um, so, yeah, um, if, if, I don't, if there's something, that, um, something similar that's happened to you, you kind of know that you want to do something about it, like to make sure that you don't forget again. Um, well, the, the problem with the Israelites, the reason that they were in this cycle, this spiral, was that they kept forgetting God. They, they had a really bad memory. Um, look at chapter 3, verse 7. It says that the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. So the reason this cycle kept happening was because Israel forgot God. Um, surely they didn't forget about God. Um, the stories would have still been you know, um, taught and told. Um, otherwise we probably wouldn't have them written down for us now. So we're not talking about... Um, not talking about like head forgetfulness, not like forgetting your wallet, but we're talking about um, heart forgetfulness. They knew the facts, they knew about Abraham and Isaac and um, the Exodus, the Passover. They knew, they knew about that, but it wasn't real to them. It didn't grip them or control them. Uh, Tim Keller puts it like this. The reason the Israelites, like all of us, continually need revival was because truths about God, which were once vibrant and real to them, eventually became unreal. Our hearts are like a bucket of water on a very cold day. They'll freeze over unless we regularly smash the ice that's forming. Though we know truths about God, we can very easily lose the sense upon our hearts of their reality. We know them, but we don't taste or see or feel them. Therefore, other things, idols, become more real to our hearts 
and we serve them instead. Is that something you can relate to? I mean, I think some of us might be able to reel off kind of doctrines and creeds and bits of the Bible till the cows come home, but do we, do we really know it in our hearts? Do we see it and feel it and taste it? Uh, Psalm 34 verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. It is great to remember in our head that God is good and gracious, kind and patient, but it is, it is better and it's really important to remember it with our hearts. Now, the, the opposite of forgetting is obviously remembering. Uh, and, and like with my wallet, we need to take steps to remember, um, to heart remember uh, God's grace. So the solution to heart forgetfulness is obviously heart remembering. Uh, if we heart remember the truth about God, we will live obediently. So uh, we, can, we can know stuff with our heads, um, demonstrated by that guy with a huge brain on his face, um, but, it, but that's no good on its own. And we can also just rely on our feelings, this guy with a, a massive heart, but again, that's, that's no good because um, sometimes the feelings are not there and our faith will become nothing at that point. So what we need to do is allow uh, our, our head to impact our hearts. So how does that work practically? Uh, well, different things are going to help different people in different ways at different times. So it's kind of a, a personal thing to you. Um, but here are some things that I think um, will be good for, for all of us. And Anna, help me. Uh, number one is, um, th- this is great because you've kind of applied, applied it by, um, by being here, listening to God's word being preached. Um, God's word is full of heartwarming truths. I think um, a, a few years ago, I used to make the mistake of seeing sermons as a bit like lectures. I was kind of there to, to take in information. I would kind of scroll down notes, try and you know, remember everything. And it was kind of about, about getting information in. Um, but really, the main aim of preaching is, is to, to warm our hearts um, with the, the truth about God, um, rather than just increasing our knowledge of it. So we should leave church with um, full hearts rather than just full heads. And I hope and pray that that is true for this church. Um, we can share communion together. Um, Jesus instituted communion because he knew that we would forget. And so we share it together to remember uh, exactly what God has done in Jesus. Uh, Thirdly, um, sharing our lives with other Christians is a great way of doing it. I think if we're regularly meeting with Christian friends and kind of looking together at God and going, wow, then even if we're not um, feeling joyful, um, someone else might be and can um, kind of lift us up. Um, fourthly, um, this, this one's not true for everyone, but um, singing Christian songs uh, really helps me to kind of ingrain the, the truth of God's word into my heart. Uh, so I guess it's important to know what works for you. I mean, it might be uh, memorising passages from the Bible or you know, sticking verses up on your wall or whatever it is. Um, we, we need to remember by allowing God's word to penetrate our hearts.
obviously there are times when we don't feel we don't um, we, we don't have the feelings there as, as I said before um, and we kind of need that the head knowledge that, that we do have to kind of get us through those times but I guess that that shouldn't be the norm um, so hopefully you can see why I've, I've dwelt on God's grace and why it's uh, a motivation um, to, to live obediently to him as we kind of see how awesome um, God's grace is. So remember in your hearts uh, what Jesus has done for you. Um,